Shiitake Talk, the podcast for the com. Joining me today is Chris. Hello. Brent. Hi. And TJ. Hello. And today we're going to be doing a Talk of Fame submission. <laughs> yep. And we will be talking about uh, Amelie. Amelie. Yeah, it was my um, submission. One of my favorite foreign films. It stars Audrey Tattoo as a uh, sweet little like naive French girl who... Decides to do good in fun and interesting ways. It's a super charming movie. So should we vote? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I was really interested to know what all y'all thought about it after watching it with the with the thing. So, yeah, Brent, are you gonna do the thing again? Uh, I can. Yeah. So again, if you this is your first time listening to a Talk of Fame submission, we have a. Like a list of questions that we just ask ourselves about all the movies we watch, all the nominations that we we watch, and uh, some of us internally may call it the gauntlet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the gauntlet. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll uh, I'll moderate the discussion. Uh, we we start with the most uh, basic question of all: Was the movie entertaining? Were you were you not entertained? <laughs> Is that not why we are here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I. I think it's such a charming little movie. I think it's, it's fun to watch. It's I forget there, there was a part where it kind of dragged, um, but like between uh, uh, when she like when she has the book and is trying to like leave him clues and he's leaving her clues. Mm-hmm. Like that's the part that kind of eh, could could skip through. But after after the clue stuff or during the clues during stuff? the clue stuff. Okay. I don't know. It's just... It, I also have, like, a, a, a frustrated perspective from it because they're both so, like, socially stunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that it seems like the most obvious path would be just for them to have a fucking conversation and still have their meet cute um, over, you know, her finding the book. Um, but whatever. I, think, I, think, I, still, I still genuinely enjoyed the rest of it. I think the on-the-nose narrator even, like, directly says that. It's yeah. like, Amelie just could talk to this guy she's got his phone number but Amelie does not want to do that yeah as far as me enjoying it I kind of enjoyed it in I kind of saw the movie in two little parts um it's been a long time since I saw it I remember just being a little little French delight of a movie yeah the first half of the movie kind of bothered me more than than the first time I saw it just just of how passive the movie is, and instead of stuff... It's just a general thing for me for the movie. Instead of stuff through action, that the movie relies so heavily on a narrator to describe everything that's happening and describing everything through what people like instead of the actions any character is doing. Until it all of a sudden doesn't. Yeah, that being said, and I know that's part of the movie, of Amelie is a shy person and it has her genesis... And then she starts actively engaging in the world. It's still, I guess it was a little too, the first part was a little too kind of cutesy and not enough in character for me. But I really, I did enjoy the second half of it. Because the narration stops and then it picks up for the last like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah. a good like 45 minute chunk with no narration. Yeah. The narrator, the narrator was, was a big thing for me. I kept trying to imagine the movie without the narrator. The Blade Runner cut. <laughs> yeah, the Blade Runner cut. <laughs> Instead of like the narrator telling every telling you everything that everybody likes, everything that everybody thinks, instead of just like a glance across the room can just tell you what's going on rather than like this is what she's feeling now and this is the thing for right now. And she's yeah. skipping stones. The the narrator, uh, to me, it, it it was I don't know, I was conflicted. Uh, on the one hand I thought it was kind of like it seemed like uh, like cheap uh, development, like instant development. So, like, let me tell you, let me just tell you about this character and what. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was there were other elements of it that were that I did kind of, I don't know, I thought were oddly charming. Like the so and so likes this and hates this yeah. and really hates this or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I, I couldn't quite figure out where I fell in the narrator. I, I enjoyed that aspect of the narration. Yeah. The likes and dislikes, yeah. and then another one that I, I really liked is. And sometimes I mean, he likes going to the rooftop and imagining how many people are orgasming right now, and it does like the mash of everyone right. orgasming, and then she just looks at the camera and goes, "Cats." Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe we, we can talk more about that with like the storytelling sure. structure a little later too. Yeah. TJ, were you entertained? 
Highly. Good. <laughs> um, I yeah, was, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the narrator later. I think it's a it's a super uh, ballsy move um, that works, and I think the fact that it does develop characters so quickly, like ten minutes in that movie, you know, you know, the mm-hmm. backstory of five or six characters is impossible to do without that. It's kind of like if a play. To, if you want to achieve that, that's the way you have to do it. Right. That's my point. It's kind of like a play that just just describes the characters for you at the beginning mm-hmm. and then just sets them in motion like that. So, did the movie elicit any kind of emotional response for you? We'll start with David. Uh, yes. So, it made me feel joy at the end. <laughs> it is joyful, <laughs> the resolution the characters get to. I do have a question if it, if the movie really earns that with those characters. And I hate to keep foreshadowing. Maybe we'll talk about <laughs> the characters later. Maybe. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that sure that these people should be together. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those movie romances that's very just sort of like it's not really built on a very like solid foundation. It seems yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like they it's just the, like each other. It's the modern context for your grandparents' stories of how they met. It's mm-hmm. like and every day I was outside of her window while she slept until she would finally talk to me. <laughs> it's like in a modern context, some of the romance is a little off-putting and a little creepy. Like the the skeleton, like to a stranger, like stroking her face and stuff. When he's on the uh, yeah, the fun yeah, the ride, tunnel of, yeah, I mean, I definitely think I was the same emotion when the ending was joy. I mean, it was definitely depressing at parts in the beginning in Amelie's childhood, but I think that the title character earned that because I think that. I don't know, mm-hmm. I felt like it was more about her realizing how to show affection because she didn't know how to do that. Right. So she earned that she could show affection, which is what brought me joy. Like, oh, she overcame whatever the hell she was trying to overcome. It wasn't about him as much as it was about her Yeah, to me. This, My- the movie still does pay attention to all the things that Nino does like. Gives him a lot of uh, agency. Like, there's a lot of scenes that don't have Amelie that he is like the... Uh, right. He's the driving force behind. Right. But it's it's the, the the emotional payoff is all the times where she stops being, as the, the glass man calls her, a silly little girl. Like, when she's devastated because she thinks her co-worker is taking Nino out mm-hmm. um, on a date and she missed her opportunity. And she's, like, really sad. Like, that was, like, truly touching. Mm-hmm. Like, how, like, saddened she was. It might have been because she put in all that work to prepare for it. And then at the end, after she watches the VHS... And he's like, don't screw this up. Like, just go for it. And she stops playing games, just like, <clears throat> like lets him in her apartment. And there's no, like, extra riddle or anything or, you know, step to follow. <laughs> yeah, Monsieur Dufayel is like, this is the theme of the movie. Yeah. We've achieved the goal <laughs> that we've set out. Yeah. <laughs> Actively participate in your life. I had a weird moment in the beginning when she was a little girl where they talk about her dad only touched her once a month during the physical checkups. And it's like... Thought she had a heart defect because mm-hmm. her heart would start reading because she's being touched, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh!" Yeah, it was like it was yeah, funny. That, it was funny for half a second, and yeah. then I was like, "Real sad about." It. That was a great scene. That's like genuinely heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a strong emotional response to the movie, and I tried to figure out why. And I, I thought maybe it was because of the like the magical realism in the movie, mm-hmm. maybe, and the, just the fact that it's just quirky. Doesn't bother me, but it takes away a little bit of my connection to like yeah. specific characters. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like I mean, the director cleaned up the streets of whatever they were shooting in France every time to make it look nothing like actual Paris. Yeah, to make it look <laughs> right. like fairy tale. Like it's supposed to be a fairy tale world, which I mean, like it or don't, it was yeah. done on purpose. Yeah, Jean Pierre Genet, right? It's yeah. the director. And it makes sense. It's some of the thing where you know, I don't think this movie is that deep or goes beyond surface mm-hmm. level for a lot of the people. That's why. Some people's entire characterizations is what they like and don't like, but that could be, you know, that's part of his take on this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got a lot of backlash originally um, for not portraying Paris in its actual light. People in Paris didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's only really notable because of the Princess Diana thing. Like, right, yeah. That it's the real world? Right, that it's real and that, mm-hmm. that it gives it an actual, like, time and place and that, the, you know, 1997 is the year mm-hmm. in which it is set. And it and it immediately, like, throws that away because they do that and today is the day that <clears throat> Amelie's life would change forever and it shows the TV and, like, news of Lady D dying 
But really, that's just like in the Rube Goldberg machine yeah. of her way of becoming more of a participant in the world by finding the box of toys. It's irrelevant who died. It's just something right. was on TV that shocked her. Mm. True. Speaking of Rube Goldberg, Amelie would love a good Rube Goldberg project. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down too in my notes. French Rube Goldberg device. That's <laughs> nice. what the plot is. <laughs> um, so... I didn't really have an answer for this because I'd seen the movie more recently than the rest of us. I think I saw it about two or three years ago, but um, you guys had been a while, I think since you had seen Amelie. Did it surprise you in any way or was it kind of what you expected or remembered? It was how I remembered it. Yeah. <clears throat> Me too. You know, I, like I said in the beginning about some of the stuff I didn't connect to as much with the, I don't want to keep saying it, but defining things people like as these little fun, quick montage things that mm-hmm. are fun, but ultimately I found a little shallow. Sure. But, yeah, so I, what was unexpected for me was some of the genuine parts, like the the her father and the heartbeat thing. And uh, they had some genuine physical moments that felt authentic to me, like Amelie's longing behind the window where she writes the menu thing, mm-hmm. where she's just like breathing in and out. Just doesn't know how to connect. Mm-hmm. Some of that stuff was pretty good, and that's again stuff without a narrator or without some visual quirk to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we'll move on to the uh, to the story. Storytelling choices. Uh, there's definitely a character viewpoint. That's obvious. It's Amelie's. And uh, did did you like the way that was done? Like, uh, for example, I mean, you just feel everything the way she feels it in the movie. Like when she collapses into a puddle of water and uh, everything is just you know you, you see into all her dreams and her fantasy world sort of yeah. so to speak not just that but her own rationalizations mm-hmm. for you know Nino being late is she devises this huge thing and that's mm-hmm. why it's okay for her to not feel anything about it is mm-hmm. the the punchline for it I feel like I've already kind of yeah. As a story, yeah, it's hard. as a story, I kept thinking this. Like, I tried to think because I've seen this before, and it's a movie I love. So I tried to be really critical of like the approach to the movie, and it really did feel to me like a collection of short stories mm-hmm. that was adapted into a movie. And I think some of the scenes show a little bit for that. I don't know how if that's how it was made. I think there was something on IMDb trivia about like he started collecting some of the stories that went into this when mm-hmm. he was like a boy in France or whatever. And it felt like that, like some little, it's like your little set piece short story here with the beginning, middle, and end, like with Meadow and her long lost lover on the mm-hmm. cliffs. Her whole apartment complex where she improves everybody's life is just set up as like a series of short stories. Today. Yeah, and also the restaurant and all of the other people who work at Two Windmills mm-hmm. is just like a different stage with <clears throat> a different cast of characters who are all you know, <clears throat> she has independent goals for them, like the <clears throat> the spurned lover and the the tobacconist. Mm-hmm. Almost reminded me of it's a weird connection, but uh, you guys ever watch My Name Is Earl? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost reminded me of a TV show, and like there's this goal this character has after some kind of inciting event, and then had like wants to make things better, mm-hmm. and it's like it goes character by character, kind of like a TV show to me. So, like, episode one would be intro, episode two would be returning the toys, which would set off the <clears throat> her string of good deeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that, that really is her impetus, is she was like, I don't know how they're going to feel if they get they get these things back to them. Like, maybe <clears throat> they'll feel regret and longing, but maybe they'll be happy. And then she gets it back to the guy, and she's like, I love that. I love how that makes me feel. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do that all the time now. And, like, leads the blind man through, and he has the, the moment of joy after she describes everything. I wonder if that's just like her, like she just imagines him to have this moment of joy. Instead, in, in like a, the real world, the poor blind man would just be like, some woman just like walked me off into the, <laughs> where I was not intending to be, <laughs> just I'm, describing everything <laughs> and left me here. <laughs> so I know the price of like a, you know, a uh, eggplant, but I have no idea where the fuck I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Help. <clears throat> Um, and obviously storytelling things, I've said it already, but I thought the narrator was a little bit of a shortcut for me. I think it worked in some places. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with both of you. Yeah. The, I will say the intro narrator, like the opening scenes and the opening things is fine, but it keeps popping up again and again. And but, I thought it felt 
unnecessary to me. Like when they're describing, when he's describing Amelie's like current emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly I just saw that as like a kind of stepping stone into, with him disappearing the way he did. With her becoming more and more socially yeah. inept. You know what I mean? And then her chance that a relationship with Nino starts to crash and the narrator comes back. Right. Yeah. Like it just felt like a character more to me than anything else. Than, a, than actual narration. I got you. And I got it as a entry thing. It's like a, a fairy tale. Like the narrator sets the stage and yeah. the things happen. Yeah. But the movie's transitioning from her passive life to an active life and then still relied on the narrator. Less and less, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the next one, the way the way I, I should probably rewrite the next one, but uh, basically the ending of the movie, does, do you feel like the ending is, is a good payoff for what came before it? Yeah, I think so. I like, I like a happily ever after ending every now and then. Yeah, yeah. It's also like I mean, we keep saying fairy tale. You know, it's a whimsical, like pretty perfect world. Yeah, yeah and then so. the that image of them on the bike, and you know, mm-hmm. the the fast edits and whatnot of them on the bike is it's it's it fits. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So let's move to the characters. Um, were the characters compelling, consistent, and or well developed? I. Was quiet during the like. Were you surprised by anything? Because I was waiting for this. Uh, I forgot how much I love all of the side characters. They're really good. Uh, the glass man, um, the grocer, and uh, I forget the the kid's name. The one who the grocer is basically Lucien? Like abusing. Yeah, Lucien. Yeah, Lucien. Um, and even all the people in the two windmills, they're just great. You know, the, the guy with the tape recorder. And when he finally... So, sorry. I it's fine. No, it's... But, yeah, I, I just really like all of the extraneous characters. The guy with the tape recorder, when he's like, obvious female conspiracy. Yeah. And then, like, goes up and is, like, playing back all his notes. Like, at this time you guys met, and you talked about this, and then you talked about this. It's just, I don't know. It's 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 really fun. And it, it takes you out of the whole, like, Amelie whirlwind. Um, so you can focus... Stop focusing on her and yeah. her, what I thought were frustrating social flaws. He, yeah. he, I, I, did, I did love his, like, the most subtle things that he would do, that character, where it, when he, the guy with the tape recorder, mm-hmm. when he would just, like, anytime, was it Gina? Anytime Gina would just, like, like, serve a cup of coffee to someone and she, she'd be like, you know, do you need anything else? He would just say, mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like she's she's obsessed with all men, and uh, you know this whole thing's a spoiler, so I'm not going to worry about spoilers. But when he moves on from Gina to Georgette mm-hmm. and just completely obsesses about all of her interactions yep. now, yeah, I like the small things like Gina would uh, not flirt with a customer, but do something, and he'd just be like, huh. like say love me. <laughs> That's how that goes. He's just no longer focusing on that anymore. Right. He just have like a little smile and go. Yeah. Um, I also really liked the uh, the glass man who's uh, I had to look up his name Raymond was his name and uh, I found his interactions with her the most compelling to me yeah. I really liked their scenes together um, I liked Nino also the the man she winds up with at yeah. the end I actually I thought the scene with the uh, when she went on the ride was uh, was really really good. When uh, he like leans in and and like breathes on her neck and touches her face, I actually really like that scene. Does so I wonder if he does that to everybody? Yeah, because then I would like it less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did it to me. Yeah. Does he know who she is at that point? Ooh, I don't think that so. She's the person he's supposed to be with, or whatever. I don't think he can. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I'm not sure. Because he, he immediately asks his coworker. Back at the porn store, what she looked like. Mm-hmm. Like the, the 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 next scene is him being like, "How was she? Was she tall? Was she you know like what did she look like?" And that's what she's like. Well, she's average height, not red hair, but dark hair. Like just the mm-hmm. most vague description. <laughs> if you ever need to rob a place, go rob wherever that woman is yeah. working. Yeah, the scene on the ride. It just uh, you know from the beginning of the film, it came off as as a little uh, not tragic, but a little sad to me. It echoed the same thing of, like, she got excited any time her father would mm. touch her. Yeah. And it's, like, this, like, creepy thing in a, in a uh, like, scary ride is one of, like, only a couple times that a human being touches her. 
So I, I thought it came off a little sad for me. Hmm. And also to him, she's just a random rider on the right. cart. Any scenes that stand out as particularly memorable? Were there any that you thought, instantly thought of when the movie was selected, for example? Oddly, I thought of the mother's suicide when oh, I was I completely it. forgot about that. I yeah. forgot about that, too. I, I had trouble with this. I can't, I can't really, couldn't really pick something I was excited about. And in hindsight, I can't really think of anything that's like that scene. I actually yeah. kind of liked the scene where she leads him on the on the little treasure hunt. Treasure hunt. You love treasure hunts, though. I do like a good treasure <laughs> hunt. <laughs> so the follow the blue arrows part. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was. I don't know. Sweet. I mean, I think I. It's hard because the scene that I probably remembered when I signed it the first one, aside from the suicide, was the uh, because I was like 15 when I watched this the movie orgasm. Last. Yeah. Yeah. The super um, cut of all the orgasms happening right. in Paris. But uh, the intro, I remembered well, oddly. the Especially her parents and her. And you know what they like, what they dislike, and all that. I remembered all that well. And then I, I was pretty hazy in the rest of the movie. I remember the ending scene. Them, like, super speedy on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Stands out. I don't think it's, like, particularly well shot or anything, but... No, no, I think the it's, whole... It's, it's weird. I don't think it's a movie that lends itself to a shot, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It just kind of all blends together in this weird world that... Plus, I it, like... kind of never knew if it was real or if it was in her head. Mm-hmm. If that's the reason everything, like, the use of color is so, like, harsh everywhere. So oversaturated, yeah. Yeah, that it's the way she sees the world, and that's why Paris is so clean in the late 90s when it wasn't, when it was, like, violent and scary. Yeah. You know? It's just the way this little naive girl sees everything. Yeah. Plus, in in the imaginary thing for her her life, thinking about a memorable memorable scene, it's like a director's bag of tricks. That that movie for mm-hmm. it's like you got visual effects, imaginary mm-hmm. characters, paintings, talking pictures. You got quick cuts, things in black and white, television. It's like picture in picture, uh, split screen. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> But it's yeah, also, fast motion, slow it's, motion. It's seems like it's, all over the place. It predates a lot of the mainstream use of that stuff, though, mm-hmm. which I find interesting. I was when I watched it, I was like, I wonder when like Wes Anderson started doing these, and I was like, oh, most of this West stuff that reminds me of Wes Anderson in this movie came after this movie came out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it felt very like all the like super uh, like centered shots. Yeah, that mm-hmm. screen Wes Anderson like he didn't do that in Bottle Rocket. He did it later, or didn't do that in Rushmore as much. Yeah. But it's heavy on Life Aquatic, which came out three years after this movie did. So I don't know how much of that. I mean, we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, I'll probably uh, stop saying that. We should stop saying that at some point. We'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. I'll just cut all those. Uh, <laughs> out. Um, what about the themes of the movie? Did you pick up on any? Because it's it's tougher with like a just like a little charming quirky movie. Well, like I said earlier. There's, there's a reversal of it. <laughs> uh, I think Monsieur uh, Dufayel, who's Raymond the Glassman, mm-hmm. pr- explicitly states the, the theme in the final resolution is you got to take an active role in your life. Yeah, let your guard Being down. passive and being in your own little world is not really living. And I think that's Amelie's transition from, you know, you can see why she's a reclusive, shy, you know, kind of... Not mentally disturbed, but maybe mentally... Stunted. Stunted, or emotionally incapable of mm-hmm. modern society. How she goes towards being active in her community, and and she's emotionally rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's an extreme change from yeah. somebody we might know who's not like living their life, in air quotes, to, to being socially more acceptable and outgoing. Um, when you have somebody who's such like a recluse... Mm-hmm. and shy to like leading strangers on treasure hunts and you know what I mean like these are the extremes of these um I don't know that it, it definitely the theme like David said is pretty pretty obvious but they tell you um but yeah. I like it I also don't know it's weird because it's extremes it's why it seems more of a character study than a movie that would be earning of a theme does that make sense like it's so much about her in my mind sure yeah, unless yeah. about like a grander right. message. It's kind of like the movie The Wrestler. It's about the wrestler. What's the theme of the wrestler? It's like don't be oh, sad. His life sucks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't be sad like this schmuck. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful when you're cutting meat. 
<laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. It's all about her, I and mean, it's the name of the movie is Amelie. And right. what's, so, yeah. What's the full title of the movie? Did anyone write that down? I probably have it here. It's like it's like the amazing the French. fabulous destiny of Amelie Poulain. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Did you, while we're still talking about the characters, I was one thing I found weird was her treatment of the shopkeeper, like the shop owner. Yeah. Hmm. Just because everything else was all like grand designs to like make people's lives better, and instead of doing something to help him see the value of Lucian, she just basically just terrorized his, him. Yeah, she terrorized him. She gaslighted him. Like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I love his scream when I think he plugs I'm, that thing in. <laughs> <laughs> and sparks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is all very... It's funny. It's one of the funnier parts of the movie. Yeah. But it just seems out of out of touch, with, or out of sync with the rest of everything she does. We do have earlier in the movie when she's a child, where she does that to the uh, soccer football fan when he's watching the uh, game yeah, and keeps right. plugging yeah. and unplugging. That's yeah. true. As like a social justice thing. Yeah. Maybe. I guess in that it's against her. It says that you know you caused a car crash with your camera. Yeah, just the way she acted when she was a little bit for somebody else. So it's more of that social extreme, right? Yeah, and I think it's it's all about her uh, still being a, a a passive rider in or a passenger in life and affecting people indirectly. Mm-hmm. And you know her cruelty towards Lucien. In her mind, she's not doing bad things to the grocer. She's helping Lucien. Yeah. Oh yeah, the grocer is uh, Mr. Colignon. Colignon, Colignon. Yeah, Colignon. I, I will give a shout out to the subtitle writer that even though it's like a different language, Lucien was doing like rhyming. It's still rhyming. Yeah. It was still rhyming like Colignon, big moron. It's like that's pretty good. Some of it's close rhyme, but yeah. down the John. Yeah, yeah. Colignon down the John. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, for her being so indirect with everybody, how about the moment then when she? Says the thing out loud to the the grocer when uh, she says, "At least uh, you'll never be a vegetable because artichokes have hearts." Yeah, I took, it's, it's a big step for her. Yeah, I took that as something that didn't happen, that happened in her mind. Oh, really? That it was like I thought the movie was, and maybe I just missed this, but it's like the movie was like it would be great if there was a person that helped shy people like this. It just the effect of it. And it's tough in the movie. Seemed a little cartoonish. Like, says the thing, everybody, she's like, way back, everybody hears it, like, laughs crazy, and he goes, oh, no! <laughs> and then right after, it's kind of normal again. Yeah. I couldn't tell. It's hard to tell. I mean, I can, I could obviously see it being fantasy. Guys, what if this whole movie doesn't really happen? What if she's just, like, in a coma the whole what time? What did I watch? <laughs> I think it's, what if it's one of Mr. Nobody's, uh... But what if different lifelines? <laughs> what if everything functions in the Mister Nobody universe? <laughs> it's part of the shared uh, theatrical universe, the cinematic, the, the, the Mister Nobody cinematic universe. It's going to be the last movie in the MCU, the, the Mister Nobody, it's the Nemo verse, <laughs> which in Latin means nobody. It actually ties into Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Um, right, not from watching the movie, but from from. Reading about the production, uh, I do wonder if a lot of a, a lot of this movie functioned in her head, um, with the detail he paid, the detail he paid attention to, like cleaning up everything and painting mm-hmm. things and making sure the colors were right. Um, yeah, like Amelie has no way to know the effect. Of, like talking about the Mister Colignon thing, the effect of all her of her little pranks. It could be like they all go off like gangbusters, but right. it's like the most ideal version possible happens that mm-hmm. we see. Right. Which seems, you know, a little fictional. Right. But does, she that, not, does she not see the, the falling apart of the Georgette and Recorder Man r- romance? Not really. She's not in the restaurant every time, or like in frame, every time there's like conflict between Georgette and the guy with the recorder. Okay. She's like in the back, like making coffee sometimes, like walks out of frame. One of like the or she starts her shift like she'll come in and put an apron on yeah. after something happens yeah and that's that that could be part of her like fantasy about like well I set them up there perfect yeah and then things start going bad with Nino and she's like well it would make sense that she would also be like oh well he probably just reverted to his old asshole self yeah right <clears throat> all right how about the uh, the performances of the cast any 
any stand out? Do they were they all great? Were what do you think? I mean, I'll just go ahead and start with the obvious. And I thought Audrey tattoo was was great. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic. She was good. Mm. <laughs> I think she was very magnetic. She's. I mean, it's it's tough to. She's she's an internal person, mm-hmm. and doesn't have anything where she's really that animated. True. In uh, an animated movie, I like the way she would. It happened like three times in the movie where she would like quietly whisper the word yes. And the way she said it was just, I don't know, I, don't know, I really liked it. That's I'm, something that stuck with me. I'm going to wear my ignorance on my sleeve here. Uh, I have a hard time judging acting performances in foreign movies. Um, especially ones that are so just like like straight dialogue driven. That's a good point. Um, yeah, true. <clears throat> you know, line delivery is something that's a, a clear marker for bad acting, but, you know, way more subtle if there's great acting. Um, and I just don't have the cultural markers or understanding of French to be able to actively say she was amazing in it, but yeah. all of her physical acting was very good. I'd be curious to find out how many total lines she actually has in the movie versus things I think she says or things other characters do or the narrator or like mm-hmm. another character. I feel like if I went back, it's it'd be, it would be surprising. And then of those lines, how many are not said directly into the camera? Because yeah, yeah. there are a few like fourth wall breaking moments that I don't know. I don't yeah, quite know a bit that enters my mind now. But uh, what about like award worthy performance? Would you have been? She won. I think no, no, she didn't win, but she was nominated for like the French Academy Award or whatever that is. I the, forget what it's the called. The cheese wheel. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh uh-uh. yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. Um, I'm, I've got it here. I did love Dufael, the the glass man. Yeah, thought he was great. Mm-hmm. I don't know about award or anything. Yeah, I'd also like Joseph, the angry tape recorder guy. Yeah, I, and this is this is definitely a journey through Jean Pierre Genet's mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a. It's, I don't know if it's it's not his debut, but <clears throat> it's a interesting. I think it's like over a like well shot decade or two into his career. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, not two decades, but you mentioned Joseph, the guy who played Joseph, and I'll give him that. Like every time he was on screen, I was watching him, mm-hmm. and him more so than other characters, mm-hmm. just because I found him. Although he wasn't really on that screen with other characters that much, mm-hmm. it's just that scene at the end where he's standing at the counter, like yelling, berating Gina. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I remember it didn't get a lot of act- acting mm-hmm. nominations. I think uh, it was her. I think she was nominated locally. For something, and that was that was it. Yeah, some regional critics polls mm-hmm. and stuff like L.A. Film Festival, New York, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I haven't seen a very long engagement or really much else that Audrey Tattoo has been in, but when I think of Audrey Tattoo, I think of this movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she was in the Da Vinci Code. That's all I've yeah, seen. Yeah, she was in the Vinci Code. She's in uh, what's the? I've seen several French rom coms with her post Amelie, yeah. but very long engagement just, she's in. Nothing near this good. Now, she actually got a little more critical acclaim for other stuff, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Um, I think well, the next section will go fairly quickly. Uh, how impressive was the movie on a technical aspect? We'll start with visual effects, and there were some, and I thought they were decent for yeah. the time period. Better than expected. Mm-hmm. I thought it verged some of them into unnecessary, like her melting into an actual puddle of water. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a little charming, but I thought it was a little unnecessary. See, I didn't mind that. as I, I, The only one that I just was just felt was gratuitous was the, the heart beating, and you could see her heart beating oh, in her and chest. Oh, the, the x-rays into pockets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind yeah. of felt, felt like it treated us a little stupid, um, which is yeah. fine. And she that, takes the keys, that goes also to the key shop. <laughs> she steals the keys, goes to the key shop, puts the key back. And it's like, oh, she has a copy. It's like, of course she does. This is a movie. <laughs> she went to the. She went to a place that copies keys. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, those things. I feel like people either love them or hate them in every movie. Mm-hmm. Like True. Uma Thurman drawing the square. Like there are people that love Pulp Fiction that think that's just dumb, and they're mm-hmm. gonna hate whenever that happens in anything. Yeah, it doesn't bother me because it's a. Like I just don't. It, I don't know. I don't even consider it really. I don't love it. I don't. I, re- I really liked her get, when she was a kid. Uh, Giving the little doctor's exam to that little green goblin-looking thing. <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah. I like I like the talking toys too. I thought like that stuff was was cute and well done. 
and not unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite visual effect was uh, was actually Nino talking to the four, the, like yeah. the the guy with the hat. Yeah, yeah. talking to them about there's you know uh, she's a you know she she loves you. It's like how do you know? And like all of them either talk in unison or argue with each other. I thought yeah. that was pretty. I cool. liked when they argued about how like uh, he's like is she is she beautiful or is she pretty? And the one says. Uh, more or less, and then one, and then one's like she's she's pretty, and then another one says she's pretty, and one, the fourth one is she's beautiful. And they're like she's pretty, okay? Let's <laughs> not go overboard. Yeah, well, yeah. The first one I think says like she's pretty for her type. That, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, they did have to put in Audrey Tattoo could not learn how to skip stones, so that was a special effect. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, Editing, I'll just say the editing felt very turn of the century to me. Like it was, it's it's one of those like the lot of fast cuts here and there. Yeah, and very then, music video inspired. Yeah, at this around this time. Yeah, which fits more, which certainly fits when the movie came out. But it does it. I don't know the the feel of the movie was more like the feel of the story is more old fashioned to me than definitely than that set design. It's a very colorful movie. I wrote down the locations are so fucking fresh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, it's just like idealistic for France, too. This is like what Owen Wilson pictures Paris to be in his uh, <laughs> midnight. <laughs> in his midnight. Wow. 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 Yeah. So beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a huge part of what makes the movie well, better than good to me, though. Yeah, the set design and the use of color. If it is, it is Paris that I think every like fourteen or fifteen year old thinks Paris is yep. in their mind. Yeah. This is fantasy Paris. Yep, mm-hmm. it's romantic Paris. Yeah, I guess Montmartre is a part of Paris, like a borough of Paris. I don't, I don't know how don't how know it works. But yes. uh, <laughs> costumes, nothing for me really. No, I mean except for the, the use of color. Still. Yeah. People are wearing contemporary clothes at this time, so yeah, it, yeah, it didn't really stand out to me. It's uh, not a war movie, so the sound probably wasn't noticeable. Um, nominated for an Oscar for it for sound editing or mixing. Yep, nice. It's best sound at the time. Cool. Well, um, lost to a war movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, as it should. Uh, how about the soundtrack? Do you guys like accordions? Mm. This is also where I have this is so this is like the the Frenchiest textbook French music. That's that like has been in my fucking head. I actually I really liked it. I liked it. I liked the music. Very fitting. Now we this is actually why we listed score slash soundtrack on its own versus within the story because within the story it had no real effect on me whatsoever. It did not enhance any of the scenes like or at least it didn't it didn't like make me feel the character's emotions any more than I otherwise would have. But I just, the music on its own, I really enjoyed. I thought it was a, a very pretty score. I would disagree slightly. I thought it did, it, it, the music is not one note, because there's a bunch of notes. But it's, <laughs> it's consistent throughout the entire movie. So it's not, it's not Jackie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it does do. I think it does do a good, good job of. Sorry, this is, this is a great impersonation. <laughs> uh, anyway, it does do a good job of evo- evoking a mood of whimsy and wistfulness, mm-hmm. like the the two parts of okay. rom- romance in France. I think. Yeah, I think it fits the movie yeah. generally well. I didn't. I didn't see how the changes from like the piano music to mm-hmm. the accordion music really fit those scenes as much. I, yeah. I don't think there's like a musical arc throughout it. I think it's, you could tell me it was one long song that they just like kept cutting pieces throughout and I was like, yep, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I liked it. They, and it wasn't nominated, which surprised me. Yeah, I, there's there's one that I do notice is the, like the, like whenever there was something like frenetic or fast paced, like when she's trying to run into him after he goes to the photo booth and finds the mystery man mm-hmm. and the car uh, comes in front of her. They do like a sped up version of it to make it seem like frantic and frenetic. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it, it fit well there, but it's, that's a pretty easy one to do. Just take your, your motif that you're using throughout and just, you know, mm-hmm. up the tempo. Also, I'm going to give him some extra credit here. With This came out in 2001, so just 
bonus credit for not using Smash Mouth's All Star at any point in the movie because it seems like every fucking movie that came out in that three year span, you know, like over the opening credits. That's the half star. Somebody. That's the half star movie for Brent on Letterbox. He turns it on and starts playing Smash Mouth and just hits pause at the half star. <laughs> Next, pretty movie. much. Um, okay, uh, let's let's talk about this. Was our uh, our controversial question last time around? So uh, of those involved in the film. Would you consider this anyone's top achievement? I will say that I think we all probably lack the familiarity yes. with French yeah. contemporary French cinema <laughs> <laughs> to really make this call. I mean, I was going to say, like, this is the greatest Audrey Tattoo movie I have ever seen because it is better than The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, uh, I think I've seen three movies from, I guess I'm thinking of the director first, okay. but Jean-Pierre Genet, I've seen, I think... A lot of people love Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. Those mm-hmm. are like some cult movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I've seen Amelie, Very Long Engagement, and McMax. I've seen, oh, I've seen McMax. Remember McMax? Yeah. I've seen McMax. I've seen Very Long Engagement. Yeah. He also that. has an Alien movie to his credit, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Alien so, Revel- Resurrection. Resurrection. So of, of those movies, this would be number one for him for me. But again, I think I probably lack the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's I only got seven movies on his directorial mm-hmm. cap. So you've seen more than that? Yeah. It, yeah, to be fair, we had seen about as much from the Wachowskis, and we were ready to declare that their, like, best achievement. It's true. I guess... I mean, this is probably his most important film, because it's certainly the most, you know, well-known and um, well-liked, but I can't personally say if it's his best, because yeah. it's the only movie of his I've seen. I'd be interested in seeing... Both Delicatessen and City of Lost Children now, because those come up in like best Del- cult, cult Del- movies. Delicatessen's or, weird. Yeah. The movies of the 90s, movies of the. I think City of Lost Children is the 80s. I think that has Ron Perlman in it. Hmm. Yeah, lots of conversations about like, oh, you should see Amelie with irritating people are like, oh, but you really need to see Delicatessen. Delicatessen's better than Amelie. Well, too, I was reading about Delicatessen and it's got a. In North America, it was released as, as presented by Terry Gilliam. But I couldn't find out Terry Gilliam was connected to the movie at all. So I was like, why? Was he just like, ooh, weird movie. Put me on the poster. Yes. It was just him actually presenting it to America. This is like, can I have this, friends? Thank you. Uh, America, here is a movie. I guess like the thing Quentin Tarantino does for like yeah. uh, Iron Monkey and, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, Terry, Terry, Terry Gilliam was on board with Delicatessen, if that tells you anything. Yeah, of the Audrey Tattoo movies I've seen, this is probably the best. And it's it's mm-hmm. pr- it would probably be uh, I'm guessing if we became more familiar with her work it would still probably be fairly high on the list just because the movie is just so it just revolves around her mm-hmm. in so much. Yep, I think she got a lot of awards buzz. She had like her debut at the age of 19, some French movie, mm-hmm. and some other. I think she's in a Stephen Daldry movie, Dirty Pretty Things. She mm-hmm. plays like an immigrant in it. She's she's I guess she's it's not. Uh, Unimportant that this is her best, I guess. I mean, this movie's on like the 1001 movies see before you die. None of these other movies are. None of her other movies yeah. are. You know what I mean? Like, it is definitely their crowning achievement. Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? It's, it's either their, their crowning it's achievement. It's top 200 on IMDb. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. That's what I said, right. but. And it's her most iconic role. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, it's a great, like, uh, it's like the, the route uh, for a lot of people to, to follow any one path, any branch for, like, it encompasses lots of things that people can look at and feel uh, frustrated by the choice because you can start with Amelie and then go, I really liked Amelie. Like maybe now I'll watch more French movies. Maybe now I'll watch, you know, maybe I like quirky comedies or these quick cuts or more, more foreign movies in general. And it's like, if you want a, like a starter pack for all of that, like Amelie is perfect. Yeah. Actually, when I was thinking about the movie coming over here, I, I was thinking of the phrase starter pack. Like, this belongs in so many starter packs. Yeah. This movie does. Um, it's a gateway movie. Yeah. Was the <laughs> film financially successful? I made sure I put down the numbers on this. So, first off, did it have mass appeal, no, ma- noticeably making a lot of money compared to other movies of its time? And I, for me, the answer somewhat. It was, it was 24th worldwide for that year. I think I saw so, on Wikipedia it is the most successful French movie of all time. Yeah. Now it becomes it's obviously way more successful yeah. when you when you start adding adjectives and qualifiers to it. Like like it's like an R rated French movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. The 
the most pop, uh, most successful one ever in America, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, made 174 million worldwide, which put it right around uh, wow. Black Hawk Down for 2001. It ranked 24. Which beat it out for best out. <laughs> yes. Maybe Black Hawk Down shouldn't have spent so much money. <laughs> I will say uh, probably the sound is better in Black Hawk Down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when comparing the two. But when you compare it against the budget, it made it was a huge, huge success. Because the budget was $10 million. And wow. it made 174. That's pretty good. Um, so what do you think about the movie made it so successful in 2001? What, uh, why did audiences love this movie? Because, I, I mean, I actually think... I don't know when it was released in France, but it was released in no, in the U.S. in November 2001. And I can't think of a better time to have released something to U.S. audiences that is about just, you know, fantasy whimsy. Yeah. And just... Why some, is that, Brent? <laughs> yeah. What happened in 2001? The Yankees won the World Series. The Yankees <laughs> lost to oh. the Diamondbacks in the World Series. <laughs> And so the you know Yankees fans needed that. No, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty easy to understand why audience is connected to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the I guess the time context thing, but it's also like it's a quirky love story that's really charming and visually stunning, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. All the art house cinemas got this, and then word of mouth that this is a fun, happy, romantic movie that is very visually stimulating throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I think those kind of movies can catch fire word of mouth like that. I'm trying to think of something comparable to see. In what way? Quirky romantic comedies, easy on the eyes, easy to understand. Not roll ten of bombs because it's more depressing than this. But you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, well, also, yeah, I mean it's it's tough because you have to factor in it being a foreign language film too. Right, but if something English language was comparable, I, guess, money is I was thinking of Five Hundred Days of Summer, very influenced by this. Maybe Garden State, quirky, romantic comedy. I don't know about visually stunning, but... I mean, Garden State certainly went for it. Yeah. Would you think they did as well financially? I, mean, I have no idea. Worldwide? I would say no. Probably not. I think this being a French movie, ironically, helps helped it. Really? Yeah. Become a hit. Also, I think... I wonder if the... I wonder if the, the, uh, the con... Uh, controversy, the controversy helped it. Did you read about the the controversy that mm-hmm. happened in Con? Uh, the uh, am I saying that wrong? Is it no, can? no, it's <laughs> the controversy that happened at Con. Con. Yeah. Con. Con. It's weird. Uh, yeah, the controversy. <laughs> um, the, they uh, entered it as a film, and then the the grand jury just dismissed it as being too like. I think they described it as too fluffy, and. They didn't even let it contend for the prizes, and uh, oh, I did read about. And that. it was the by far like the audience favorite because it ran like Toronto and it won and it wound up winning a bunch of yeah. other festivals. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, yeah. To be fair, it is fluffy, but it is yeah. also good. Yeah, it is, yeah. It I was, mean, it's just so hard to find like a romantic comedy that's not like my Harry Met Sally is for sure. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to watch a gritty romantic comedy. <laughs> They're not a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, any romantic comedy, have them not get together at the end, and then it's not fluffy. It's like The Apartment. If they get together at the end, it's a little... No, no, I still call that fluffy. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, The Breakup, still a fluffy movie, even though they don't get together again. It's the difference of being a fluffy, entertaining movie versus a prestigious movie. Mm -hmm. So they thought thought it was beneath them to Mm -hmm. award this movie, and fuck them. Yeah. They're very idiots. <clears throat> They're assholes. Yeah. Uh, although, I think I've read that actually on the jury was the guy who played Nino. Because <laughs> he's a director. Yeah. And, a famous uh, director. And so, what's his most famous thing? I, I saw that he was director. His breakout is like when he was a teenager, wrote and directed La Haine, which is hate in French. Mm. It's like another Thousand and One movies you see. Oh, right. It's a really influential French movie. <laughs> Interesting. In like the 90s. Cool. Yeah, that must have been awkward though for him to be on the on the jury and uh, yeah, and then just dismiss his film. Um, would you say that Amelie is important to film history? Yeah, did it influence cinema after it or today? I think it is very important where it stands at the very least. Like without even looking at the movie itself, just show that 
I think that there is a problem with American film going audiences who immediately dismiss foreign films, sure, um, as something that requires more effort. Yeah. Um, and this movie, without dialogue, without any words written on the screen, I think would be just still so delightful. Um, and I think it 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 helped and came in at a time uh, that showed like you know. When you go see a French film, it's not a noir. It's not this like dark, brooding characters. You know, countries can have personalities within their movies, but they're not always that like cast to their type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's that's kind of that's what I had written down, which was uh, it's it opened the door a bit for specifically non-action foreign films mm-hmm. that to have some success in the US because it wasn't that common before that like um the year before was Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and so that probably opened up a door of sorts here for in the US yeah. too you, you had a good movie. run for like the 3 years there you had Life is Beautiful 3 or 4 years before that mm-hmm. you had a good run of financially successful popular in the states forward films mm-hmm. all three from different countries i think all three of them are very important yeah, um, for that reason. And I think other I think, movies... I think you have a tradition of that, though. Like, in 95, you have The Postman, nominated for Best Picture, which is, like, about an Italian postman. And it got nominated for Best Picture and was, like, a fun movie. You got movies like Cinema Paradiso and stuff that's, like, an enchanting movie. Yeah. I think you have it every couple of years. But... Not not to say that Amelie wasn't important, because it broke through way more than anyone of was it oh, ever did? Wasn't Amelie though shown in like wide release somewhat? Yeah, that's 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 what I want to ask mm-hmm. because those other two movies, like I'm hearing about them not for the first time, but you know they were not in the American zeitgeist the way that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was, the way that Life Is Beautiful was, the way that Amelie was. You know, they're important foreign films, but they're important to the Academy, and there is a huge disconnect between what's important to Academy the Academy and what's important to American audiences. Not even just Academy, but just like like film buffs. Like right. people who like when did Paradise Cinema Paradiso come out? Like it's the eighties. Late eighties. Yeah, late I was thinking eighty eight. So like I, I feel like even a lot of people wouldn't have even seen it until like ninety or, you know, mm-hmm. until they could get a, their hands on some some copy of it. But then again I might be I might be wrong. But it seems it seems like it became more common or more acceptable for for Cineplexes to mm-hmm. to at least stuff this French movie in their worst theater in the back of the building yeah. or whatever. Uh, I just wonder if there's screen a little, thirty. <laughs> I yeah. just wonder if there's a little chicken and egg thing of this yeah. movie was so popular. What do I want to say? That it was released widescreen, or if it was re- released widescreen, other movies like it would have been also popular. Well, that's I mean that's that's the sales question, right? Yeah, that's when you're when you're negotiating with your theaters, you know. How many screens this movie gets? You, you, it's you have to do the the, the projections. You have to kind of guess, mm-hmm. and it paid off. It could be that the success of like Crouching Tiger, which was like a phenomenon, right, opened the, the door for Amelie, which mm-hmm. opened the door for other stuff. Yeah, I you know, because this wasn't the first French movie in history. Right just now. like Matrix wasn't the first action movie. There's, right. there's a continuum for this stuff. I would imagine though, if you took a poll of Americans who have seen. French movies that this would probably be the first French movie for that it might win the poll of like what was the first French movie you ever watched in its entirety that Amelie might be the most common answer it might be the answer for like European cinema even you mm-hmm. know yeah yeah I don't know I think aside from the foreign aspect of the film I mean uh, I still think it was important I was off on the timeline a little bit before I watched it until mm-hmm. after I watched it and the way it preceded a lot of movies that were at least more successful than movies that did it before them with the I don't know like the use of color and all that stuff just seemed like it skyrocketed after that yeah and movies that made a lot of money yeah after movies that were popular movies kind of parroted how like twee that like 50s like um color palette mid-century modern yeah kind of look um it came with pop culture but a lot of the movies I don't know I don't know it just it seemed like, the, the, especially Wes Anderson, I hate to go back to him, but the two movies that came out before this, like, I feel like there was a drastic change. And I'm not saying he saw Amelie and was like, that's what I want to do, that, but, you know, well, something. I don't know. I think, I, I very much thought of Wes Anderson when I saw this. Yeah. Right. And I think there's probably influencing back and forth with 
you know, him being involved with French cinema, he's probably seen all kinds of shit. Right. But the same year, Royal Tenenbaums did come out, and I think that's where his colorful style started. It started there, and then it got, like, worse. Not worse than a, not, like, it got, it got worse, not, like, I hated it more, but I feel like it was more harsh in later movies. Like, I feel like the next movie was Zissou, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was more apparent in Zissou than it was in Royal Tenenbaums, even. Um, I don't know, Royal Tenenbaums is interesting, because it had, like, certain storylines where it felt very important, and certain storylines where it didn't, you know? Yeah. You know, the very colorful, like, people have costumes, and there's, like, color right. schemes. You right. got, like, the wallpaper in the background at the, the hotels and stuff. Right. And for all that stuff, it's hard for us to ascribe influence one way or the other. You yeah. saying it's there, me saying it wasn't influenced. I sure. Mean, it's, it's both. I know. Right, yeah. And and also, the three four of us are at a very, uh, like, the perfect age to be influenced by a rom-com French movie that came out in 01 when we were all, like, teenagers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where we thought we could look cool if we watched it, you know. Yeah, it was. Uh, that, yeah, that's that's important too. I think. Yeah, I I definitely watched this movie with a high school girlfriend. Right. Like, <laughs> after seeing it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would say it is important. It was a different avenue of romantic comedy. Like, it's not just a a career woman or man sacrifices their job for love, or <laughs> or yeah. like a Judd Apatow movie where it's like kind of a gross out romantic comedy yeah this was like a third kind yeah I'm sure there's like a hundred thousand different kinds right and I also I also just just like that story that it's not outside influence really I mean kind of outside influence but it's it's just about a woman gathering the courage to embrace life mm-hmm. as yeah. opposed to like you know having a conversation with her dad or like getting into like you know having like a life-altering moment it's just you know building the courage i think it's a it's a cool storyline for for romantic comedy almost to the point where i think that the the romance is not necessarily with nino but it's just with you know not herself with friends but with 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 barry life yeah yeah and it also helps on on your tip i think this movie was also successful and influential because it has an uplifting theme Mm -hmm. that's easy to be happy about and it's funny. Yeah. yeah, and to Brent's uh, point earlier, like, it was a rough time, like, for the world then. Mm-hmm. It was pretty scary, and, like, the live your life because you never know trope. Right. It yeah. had more merit then than it had before or does yeah. now. Don't, don't live like the glass man. And, like, a romantic comedy in France was nice escapism. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, we were using the term romantic comedy a lot. Is it is uh, Amelie something that we would consider one of the the best romantic comedies? Does it come to mind when uh, when you say, like, if someone asks you randomly, what are the best romantic comedies? It's definitely one I, I rattle off. So it does for you. Mm-hmm. Top top ten or so. It it never has been for me, and it uh, probably still isn't necessarily on the short list. But I'm, I'm in the same boat. But probably not. If someone asked me about it, I would say it's good. I think it's a better. Romantic comedy than The Matrix is a sci-fi movie for me. Um, <laughs> You're saying that better romantic yeah, comedy than The Matrix. Matrix. Yes. I was like, I would agree. <laughs> I if if someone told me to rank like my top three romantic comedies, I'm not sure where it would be, but I would like to have an asterisk because I think this is so on the fringe of romantic comedy yeah. that I would understand if if I said like, well, Amelie's in the top three. If someone went, that's not a romantic comedy, I'd be like, okay, you might be right. What about what about? It deals with romance. Like right. it's, it's it's hard because yeah, yeah. it's not like couple necessarily. It's, to it's, me, it's French yeah. cinema. It's on genre. Uh, I mean, it was for a long time. But that's because French cinema did, or influential French cinema kind of did the same thing. Yeah, I thought like there were for French a while. movies that came out in certain times that weren't considered French cinema. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, has well, the, we, we also talked about as like as a genre, foreign language. That's hard yeah. for us to justify now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe when you're younger, but. Foreign languages are really... I mean, we wouldn't say English language for... Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because there, there's so much cinema out there that you, we're now more mature to be exposed to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you can read subtitles. No problem. Right. And I it, can read, guys. Yeah. Bragging. And, and it's, 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 it's a funny genre because if someone disagrees with our kind of expelling it as a genre, like, what is the artist? Is that a foreign language film? There's fucking no language in it. What about right. the Red Turtle? It's made by foreign studios. There's no language in it. Right. 
What about Babel? There is lots of foreign language. The movie's about the difficulty of language. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Avatar. (laughs) Cloud Atlas. Get that good good. Has the... uh, Wally. (laughs) Yeah. Has has Amelie aged well, in your opinion? It hasn't had that long to age, so... (laughs) Amelie, the character? She's probably doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, yeah, the... uh, I mean, as much as the movie can't age in, what, 16 years? I think... I really didn't have much here. Just yeah, no, I mean, sure. It's like any other movie. Didn't movie. age poorly. Yeah, right. I think it's a it's a bubble movie. It's right. You know, I I don't think it necessarily aged well or not, but it is a there nice movies, little capsule. There are movies still being made that look the same. Yeah, right? the yeah. same, very very loose, but um, I won't say it aged well. But I think some things. It's just like anything. You look back. I think things become more loaded. When you think about him in like a modern context, like this is an emotionally stunted person that probably should not be chasing Nino, really. Uh, yeah, sure. It's, well, you said it could happen to anything. Like, oh, yeah, Vince yeah. Vega probably shouldn't have shot that guy in the face. <laughs> well, it's the other thing. Like, uh, some of the stuff in hindsight struck me as a little sad or creepy, and then it was just like when I watched it when I was fifteen, it was just sheer romanticism the whole time. Right. Yeah, it's less about how the film aged and how you aged. Yeah, true. <laughs> is it, is it, no, is it you... But, like, I mean, I can't answer the question any different. Right. I think it kind of plays to that. I think that can be uh, certainly factored in because I think there are some, like, movies from my childhood that are still, like, still are as magical as they ever were. And then there are others where I, I watch them and it's like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did I ever like this? Right. So, I'm not saying Amelie's in the latter category. Yeah. I don't know but. what I really have to talk about with this context, but something that I did think about talking about how it aged is it really felt to me like Amelie was acting like a 10-year-old, which kind of made some of the stuff complicated for me. Mm. In, all of her, in all of her pursuits, like in Skipping Stones, and she just acts like a young pre-pubescent girl to me. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff struck me as a little creepier because of that. How, yeah, but I mean, those people definitely exist and I don't know how you're supposed to treat those people in the world, you know? Sure. And like I said, I don't really know how to analyze that. Right. But, you know, that's part of her being stunted is she's pretty much stuck being a kid because mm-hmm. she didn't have anyone around for adult interactions other than, like, her father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until she like breaks that wall, or starts to break that wall. Right. Would you recommend Amelie to anybody? Yeah, I recommend it to everybody pretty much. Anyone, yeah. anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's even if it's not your cup of tea, it's it's the it's a movie that shows up so often on those on like montages of of you know movies and whatnot that it certainly qualifies as a movie of importance to most people. So seems to have mass appeal yeah. too. I would recommend it, and it is just going to be visually stimulating. Mm-hmm. And it's a romantic Very. movie, and it's going to be a delight. And uh, and then our final question, um, is there a certain character's name in this who you love to say out loud since it's a fun name? Because I think there is, and it's Nino Cancampoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, it's time to vote. We're voting on the, the sure. question. Is, right, any final thoughts? Yeah, any... any... No, I think, I think we said it. Should Amelie be inducted into the talk of fame? It's ha- the hallowed ground. Shall it move in and share space with the Matrix? Man, Amelie would prank the Matrix so hard. <laughs> Look Just over. like sneak in and unplug everybody. <laughs> I mean, after she sets up all her things, Neo would constantly be saying, whoa. <laughs> He'd be real confused about all the things. Just picture like the shootout in the office building with the, <laughs> the accordion. It'd be so much more charming. Uh, I'm just like thinking of Matrix Amelie mashups. <laughs> it's all really stupid. <laughs> it's her describing the woman in the red dress to the blind man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, so your your vote, please. Is there? Are we missing a vote? Mine. I think you have. Oh, okay. Write it down yet? Okay. All right, so. Damn it, Brent. Right, I, f- I think the uh, nominator should should read the votes. Yeah. TJ, do the honors. Uh, yes. We. Oui, it is in. <laughs> no. No. 
Ooh. Oh. Oh. It's not in. So yeah, it doesn't make it in. 2-2. Two, two. Audrey. 2-2. Two, two. Two, two. <laughs> <laughs> this was fun. I liked it. Um, quick homework for you guys. Oh. Um, so I have a topic for next week. And uh, it's a movie... That I, I'm, I'm sure some of you have seen it. It's on Netflix. It's uh, a fairly recent doc- <laughs> documentary. Oh. oh. We only had one of these? I think so. Um, it's called Life Itself. It's a movie about Roger Ebert. Oh, cool. Uh, I've been wanting to see it since yeah. it had Oscar buzz a couple years ago. So, yeah. Cool. Sounds fun. Okay. Cool. So, this was Talk You Talk, the podcast for the media by us. Please visit the site and see all our stuff. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> connect with us on uh, Twitter, Gmail, um, Facebook. We got multiple groups by what you like, and we also have a Facebook page. You can check it out. We'd love to hear from you for podcast topics to uh, engage with what we're talking about. Subscribe, please give a rating. And uh, I want to say thanks to the Willow Walkers for the intro music. Thank you. Thanks to Boo Rifa for the outro music. Thank you very much. And thanks to you guys for listening. Thank you. Adieu. Adieu. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know